0: If what really happened here reaches the public, you're off. Victor, what is this about? We need an interview. Big time Canadian drug dealer. It's arrested in Bangkok. A major heroin pipeline was shut down. Everything's in the press release. Nothing's in the press release. Why is he still in Thailand?
1: Do you know how much money you owe me? I don't have any cash. My want a job? See, we're looking to expand our operations. We'd like you to help us out. You're going to Thailand. I've been an investigative journalist for 15 years. And nobody knows anything about this drug kingpin. I don't think he's a criminal mastermind. Two days over there and I'll come back with a national scandal.
0: Joining on the phone today is director and screenwriter Danielle Ruby. Target number one is the film that has just come out into theaters. And I know you're thinking maybe some of you theaters are open. I'm like, they definitely are. And this film, Target Number 1, focuses on Canadian investigative reporter Victor Merlick, who's played by Josh Harnett as he fights to expose the twisted truth behind a heroin bust that frames an innocent man sentencing to life in a Thai prison. You can catch the uh, film now in theaters across Canada, but more specifically here in Edmonton at Cineplex Odeon. Danielle, thank you so much for making time uh, to talk to us on the show today. And, you know, before we get more specifically into the film, The origin of this film is an incredible 13-year journey just for you personally, uh, much less the people that are involved. So, Renlène Olivier spent eight years in a Thai prison because of a CESIS operation gone wrong. So, you began your research in 2007, attending the three-month-long civil trial in Montreal and listening to hours and hours of testimony. So, I know the time that you've invested in this film in itself is incredible. But maybe just before we get into the plot of the film, because it's not like it deviates significantly, but just to give us some background, you know, some of the important highlights that led for you up to four man of the screenplay for target number one.
1: Like you said, I attended this lawsuit, but I had read about the story beforehand in the newspaper. And obviously it wasn't the first time that somebody wrote about this because I read about it in December, 2006. And this whole story takes place in 1989. If you go see the movie, you'll realize that part of the story like you said, is about a, an investigative reporter, Victor Marek, doing reporting on this at that time. So he, he was the, the first one to write about this story. But me personally, I didn't know about it until 2006. So the first time I read about it, I was shocked by the story. I was kind of floored that this type of thing could happen in Canada. I have to be honest. It's not like I was thinking, oh, this would make a, a great thriller for a movie. The first thing I was thinking was, uh, how can this happen? And then I was thinking, how come I didn't know about it? But I realized that, you know, when something like this happened, people write in, in, in the media, people write about it or or, or talk about it in the news uh, by many bits and pieces over time once the information is available or there's something new that we learn about it. So basically, it's kind of a spread... Uh, over many years that people wrote and, and, and talked about this uh, many, many times. But you never get like a because it's a, a, story, a story that takes place over a long period of time. Like you said, this, this Canadian guy that spent eight years in the Thai prison, many events that took place. And so um, I, I thought maybe the reason why I didn't get the whole span of the, that story is because I heard about it in little midi bits and pieces. So I was thinking it must be more powerful to hear about the whole thing all at once. And that's that's how I thought maybe uh, a fiction film about it would be interesting. And that's how I started my research. And then I heard that I Olivier, the real guy, was going to sue the government because he obviously he came back to Canada uh, and the story ends well. To a certain extent, we already know because the guy is here uh, and he was going to sue the government and then I thought, you know, I'm going to go and, and check that out. And, and I realized how valuable that would be in my research, because I could uh, listen to everybody involved giving their version of what happened uh, through extensive testimonies in, in court. Um, and then also I realized the importance of uh, the journalist and this story. And, uh, and I decided I was going to do the movie.
0: Yeah. And, you know, it's kind of incredible because, I mean, that in itself, your research and the amount of time that you put into it uh, could be a film. It itself I guess probably even a mini miniseries <laughs> of, of yeah
1: well it's because I, when you decide it's gonna it's gonna become a movie you don't know uh, how long it's gonna take and uh, it's not like you decide it's gonna be this 10 year uh, fight uh, and it's not even like one huge fight it's uh, a thousand mini fights uh, and and sometimes you think it's all like in the bag and it's gonna be fine and then uh, there's a set Back and it's a test of your um, focus and it's a test of how how much you really want to make the movie and uh, I've I've been tested quite a few times but also you know it's not like it took me 13 years to make it it's it's from the the moment I I had the idea uh, until the movie is released that's the amount of time that it took but uh, along the way you know I did my research I wrote the screenplay and then uh I, I went to uh, shoot another film and then I came back you know so that that's a year and a half of my life uh, going away and and this movie waiting for me to get back to it. Uh, so uh, you know I, I know people are, are impressed about you know with the time it takes to make a movie like this, but also there's a lot of waiting uh, in there. Um, and, at the end, there is resilience and, and really meat pushing, uh, because when there's big setbacks, like at one point we had a, uh, an investor in, in the U S, uh, that was going to put in $4 million in the movie. And, uh, the day before we started prep, uh, the, mo- the, the money never showed up and we just like, it, the guy just disappeared. And, uh, that's the time I thought maybe the whole thing, you know, was falling apart, and maybe we we were not going to succeed because I was losing actors also because then you know you had booked book people and they're they're not available for the, you know, for later and blah blah blah, and, and uh, so I did have you know uh, to push and and find a replacement for that investment and it took a year and a half and then blah 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 so uh, there's many uh, many moments when i you know i did have to push and and uh and really um, uh, i guess be the one that really wanted to make the movie happen um but at the end of the day i i guess uh, i really wanted it <laughs> you
0: know we're speaking on the phone today with director screenwriter daniel We're talking about his brand new film, Target Number 1. You can actually catch it in theaters right now uh, across Canada, specifically in Edmonton at Cineplex Odeon. You know, in the film, you do an incredible job of trying to balance what I thought was like three probably maybe specific plot lines between Danielle Leger, who, you know, you changed the name of that character, uh, who's played by Antoine Olivier Pilon who's being framed, uh, Victor Malarek, the investigator on it, who's played by uh, Josh Harnett, and then yeah. also Glenn Picker, who's played by Jim Gaffigan, and the pressure he's under to deliver the stooge for the ambitious Sergeant Frank Cooper, uh, played by you know legendary Canadian actor Stephen McCaddy. So let the audience know about you know maybe some of the more details of the film specifically um in, instead of like how much they parallel to reality and how you approached constructing these different layers of the screenplay and uh you know kind of parlaying them into a story that needs to be told as opposed to the 100% reality of what happened
1: yeah yeah of course because uh, 100% reality first of all would be a documentary uh, and it would be a, a documentary series because this uh, this story really took place over two years in reality um, so for me to make a two hour movie and, and two hours is already long for distributors uh, even though you know some movies in that genre of, of like uh, you know investigative reporting or like th- those kinds of, of twitters uh, most of the time uh when they have uh parallel storylines they tend to last over two hours and a half uh so i did this one in two hours and so i had to kind of uh shrink and tie the story up uh and, and kind of uh um uh, uh merge uh is some events to to i guess Tell as much a true story as I could, in, in, you know, for the understanding of, of the audience. Uh, not for the uh, absolute respect of exactly how it happened on that day. That's not the the objective of the movie. The objective of the movie is to make you uh, feel what these three main characters felt, their dilemmas, the choices they made, the mechanics behind how the system can end up by, you know, leaving a Canadian citizen, you know, facing the death penalty in, in, a, in another, another country when in Canada, we're obviously against the death penalty. And, and this is how it turned out. How, how do you end up there? And that's what I was trying to deconstruct and try to understand and see how, you know, step by step, mini decision by mini decision, people might end up making those choices and what I realized when I was doing my research is that the people involved in this story did not, at, at the beginning, make up some kind of a, you know, a dark, uh, evil plan to trap somebody. And and I really believe in life that's not how it works unless you really face somebody that has, you know, huge, personal, uh, some crazy people. But in, in a system like this, I felt like it was interesting to kind of analyze how how this can happen and early on i decided i was going to follow the three storylines three points of views uh three perspectives including the police perspective because when you read about it in the news obviously they're the the antagonists of this story and people tend to just say you know these bad guys this is what they did um i wanted to dive into their perspective as well and try to see how they could you know come up with with a, a such a catastrophic result so that's how i chose to do it and then after that i you know i kind of just laid out the three storylines and uh and the investigative reporter storyline obviously i didn't want to start that storyline too late in, in in the movie early on i had an idea on how i would you know intertwine all these stories and and make it uh like a puzzle it needed to be intriguing for you know for an audience this is a movie uh, you you're going there to be entertained even though you're gonna see a, a serious subject matter and it's going to carry some kind of a, a statement. At the end of the day, you go to the movies to have fun, and, and reconstructing a, a puzzle like this is part of the fun for the audience. So I needed to create a suspense there. Early on, I, I had an idea on how to do that. And, uh, hopefully, I succeeded, I hope.
0: <laughs> Absolutely, I can, uh, I can testify to that by seeing the film that... <laughs> The target number one succeeded on numerous levels. Uh, Danielle, even though this isn't necessarily your background to approach this as a documentary, yeah. How do you think that this? Because you almost have to look at it in that way in your preparation. You know, what kind of uh, I guess uh, latitude does it give you, being a screenwriter and as a director, to approach it as a story as opposed to trying to format it as a documentary?
1: Well, I think it's it's very important to uh, find what the story is about first. Realize what's the subject matter, the topic behind what really happened in reality. What's that that really... Touched me, or or moved me, or made reflect on on, on a, a certain way the society works, or so. Once I found that, uh, and, and I was like, okay, this is what I'm going to focus on. This is what I think is important. I use the facts, and I didn't. I can't really, really tra- travestigate the facts to kind of uh, tell something that would you know make me feel like it's more interesting. That's not. I, so I used all the facts. It's just I removed uh, things or I merged things to make it more easy to understand as a viewer. But I'm not gonna I'm not gonna change the heart of the story. I feel it's a responsibility when we say it's based on true events or inspired by true events from the movies I've seen in the past as a, as a moviegoer, as a, as a consumer of these types of movies that I really love that, you know, it's important for me to be able to defend the story I'm telling and, and say, you know, it is inspired by true events, and what you're going to see is 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 the heart of that story is, is real. So that's how I approach it. So so let's say I, I change some things. I'm going to tell you uh, up front in the story. Um, Frank Cooper goes to kind of recruit his own son in his team. Uh, when, when one of his, his team members is, is pulled away, he goes and and go and gets his son to uh, be part of his team. That's not true. Uh, they, they did go get a younger guy, but the guy was not uh, Frank Cooper's son in reality. That's the change that I did. Why? It's just because I felt like in reality that team – lost a, lost somebody you know along the way and it, it, there was a tragedy in it and I, I felt it was emotional for them and and, and and it was it was a huge thing and I felt for an audience to really feel what they felt. Uh, I could dramatize it, dramatize it that way. That's some kind of a, a choice that I made. I know it's not exactly the truth, but I feel it's it's closer to the truth of the loss and the, the intensity of the emotional arc of the of these characters what they really went through so sometimes i make choices like that like something happens to uh to victor Mallory at one point in the story at his house that's something that happened in 2007 when he came to montreal to testify in this case it didn't happen in 89 but it was in the same case it happened to him the exact same way but, so I use that, you know, like that event. It, it didn't really happen at the same time, but it really happened. So, so sometimes I made these these shortcuts or these choices to make the audience understand or feel what these characters felt. But I had to make a curve there, you know, a little bit with reality.
0: Personally, as an audience member, it, it definitely works on all those levels. And so, I mean, those yeah. choices accomplish what you needed to if uh, if that's what you were looking to achieve.
1: Like I said, you know, it's, it's important for me to say the heart of this is, is true. And I'm not taking you on a journey where I'm going to lie to you to make you feel something, telling you, you know, what happened, in my opinion. And also, that's something with the movie. It's not a documentary, so it's a fiction piece made by, you know, a writer-director. It's my opinion and my point of view on what I think is the most probable that happened at that time. That's the liberty that I take, but, but it's also... In a fiction piece, that's what's interesting is there's a real point of view taken by the filmmaker. So that's that's important for me to make in a movie is that I, I really tell what I think what happened It's my personal opinion, so I I can defend it. But obviously, if you would go and interview the the police involved, they will tell you this is all lies. You know (laughs) what I mean? (laughs) That's for sure.
0: Our guest today on the program is director screenwriter Danielle Hobie. We're talking about the film Target Number 1, which you can catch in theaters right now across Canada, specifically in Edmonton at Cineplex Odeon. As much as there is a challenge for you composing the screenplay, Danielle, it must have been another process and finding the right balance between putting it all together and editing you know so tell us a little bit about working with Yvonne Thibodeau and uh, who you've had a working relationship since 2004 with your first feature White Skin and uh, and how that kind of relationship has evolved as well uh, throughout the years with with Yvonne
1: that's very interesting uh, because uh, you're you're so right this is a movie took six months to edit this movie I had 200 hours of uh, footage on this. It was the biggest project of editing I- I- of my career. But with Ivan, yes, we have a, a long-term relationship. We know each other very, very well. We have the same type of feeling. I, I trust him, and uh, I know he likes what I do, and I, I trust his judgment. He's not not a type of editor that will be just like pushing buttons. He's making judgment calls and questioning what I do, trying to make it as effective as possible. And it, I really feel my movies take. Um, big step when it goes through Ivan's judgment then we discuss a lot so on this one we spent a lot of time we're going to put together the first assembly of the movie it, it, it lasted about three hours and 15 minutes i think it was very long and it was never boring the movie was never boring it's always interesting but it was a, a long process to try to get to something that's you know telling every detail as much as we can but also uh keeping the tension finding the balance between the storylines. It's the first time I've done three points of views like this going back and forth and I realize it's not like on, on the page because I wrote this, the screenplay, like edited. Obviously, the three storylines were edited in the screenplay, and so I knew the screenplay worked because I got a lot of good feedback on it. That's how I could find finance it. Once we put it together on screen, I realize it's, it's never the same. You feel like it's a bit. You spend too much time with this character, and then you forget about the other storyline. And so we had to uh, move the you know the scenes around uh, quite a bit to try to find the right balance for it. We took our time and that's the key, Uh, seriously. It's not as expensive as it was before to edit a movie and I feel like most producers should give the time to directors and editors nowadays with the Avid system not costing as much as it costed before uh, to sit down, take the time, and also sometimes take a pause for uh, a week or two and not watch it and let it sit there and then rewatch it two weeks later and then you have a really different perspective on how it feels. It was very beneficial for the movie to do this and take six months to edit it because uh, first of all, it would have been way too long and it would not have been as intriguing and as well-balanced. I encourage people to take the time. (laughs) You know, spend the money. What happened to you? You can't pay for protection? Aren't you this huge drug lord or something? You can either tell me what really happened or you can squander this precious opportunity. This Canadian operation was illegal. They paid for it. Who paid for it? The federal agents, they paid for everything. The target is imported from Thailand.
0: We're gonna go ahead and authorize the operation. We're to your H2BC. I want out. You do this thing or I'll skin you alive. They made threats to me. Daniel Leger is a drug addict. You can't trust anything he says. What if I found out that you guys paid for Leger's trip down to Thailand? I'd be very
1: careful before I print anything about this case. Or what? Hey, Mellor! Don't want you to get hurt. Where the hell is my story? What could blow up in our face?
0: Canadian citizen is executed in a third world country. We're not going to do a
1: thing about it? What does "mung uh, tai" mean? "Mung Thai mean, mean you did. If you sell drugs, you will be caught.
0: As a director, Danielle, uh, how do you balance allowing latitude for actors like uh, Josh Hartnett, uh, Steve McCaddy, Antoine Olivier Pilon and others to create characters while trying to respect the actual people involved in this event and also servicing the screenplay that you wrote while you're directing them at the same time. It just, (laughs) it seems like, you know, this is a real team effort a lot of times. And what's the challenge in directing all that together?
1: Well, my job is because it's always interesting how people say, you know, uh, I directed this actor, or an actor says, you know, I've been directed by someone. You're the director of the movie, but I'm not directing the actors in the sense that I. It's the that character is their department, and they're they're in charge of their character and. Uh, obviously you're right I wrote it and I did the research uh, but they have access to it and they can ask me the questions and they get the feeling of the energy of the character in the screenplay after that I cast the people that have in my opinion you know the basic energy of the character so I won't be surprised on set with what really comes out Uh, the work of the actors Uh, i guess in this one the actor that had the most work to create something i feel was josh hartnett because he had met victor Malarek, and victor Malarek is a celebrity he's been on tv for years and so there's something there to be captured a bit more specifically than the others i feel the others could you know play as much as they want i feel like josh had that Challenge a little bit there, because he so he met with Victor. We went to his house and we spent a day with him. He wanted to create something special because of that very intense personality that comes out of uh, of the real Victor. Usually, you know, I really encourage the actors to create what they think the character should be. We do a reading together of the scenes so that we can kind of clean up the dialogue together and discuss it and I, I but i don't do rehearsals with the actors because i don't want to burn any spontaneity so basically we get on set and and uh, i don't even do rehearsals i only do like you know where we're going to be in the space but i don't like to kind of waste like a first try, I, I like to capture the first try, and see what they bring to the table and what they, you know, what they prepared. And then what I really do is I balance the energy of everybody to make sure everybody's in the same movie, and they're close to the type of tone that I had in mind—a general tone. I, I'm talking about, but I, I really leave. The actors very free to uh, to bring their you know their take on it to the table because that's you want to use their creativity as much as you can and try to you know make space for them to be comfortable and then after that I like also to explore and try uh, different things on set and not feel like we have to get it in one take I like to uh, try new ideas and see what comes out you know from that freedom. Sometimes you get like these jewels and, you know, the first try was the best and the first, you know, the, the spontaneity of the first take was the best What they you know, what they, they, come up with it. But I, I like to play around with them a lot. And uh, my job is to just, just to make sure that I get convinced with what I see on the small screen there uh, while we do it. I let them know when I feel like was convinced 100% and then move on. But, but like I said, I really feel it's important to give the actors the feeling that they're in charge of their character. That's that's how I think it performs to the best, in my opinion.
0: I hate to ask this because I know, you know, from going through it, you know, you probably had to address this a few times, and it's just because it's incredibly timely right now. You know, the hurdles you've had to overcome we've discussed already in this interview yeah. uh, of just bringing this film to the screen, and then you know you had to face the fact that its theatrical release would either have to be delayed or may yeah. have even been avoided. And I love the fact that you do talk about the importance of this film being seen in theaters. So talk about why you feel it's significant for audiences to have an opportunity to see this on screen as a collective, uh, as opposed to just, you know, streaming it directly Uh, Through home.
1: Yeah, it would have been a safer option, but it depends where because like you said it was supposed to be released in April So we had done all our meetings all all the promotion was was ready with distribution uh, Josh Hartnett was supposed to come for a big premiere in Montreal and in Toronto and so everything had to be cancelled and pushed and uh, obviously The first question was, are we going to go directly to VOD Uh, because everybody's at home and many people did it. Obviously, some people, even in the States, the big studios and movies were released directly on VOD because uh, there was an opportunity there to make some money. But here in Canada... We all know that Canadian movies don't make real money. That's less of a factor in trying to exploit that VOD potential. And I was happy because I guess we knew the movie had a real potential to attract people in in theaters, especially in Quebec, because of Antoine Olivier Pilon. That young actor is quite a movie star already at his age in in Quebec. And uh, I was happy that you know, distribution knew that he could attract people in the theaters. And for them, it was a risk not to try to exploit that potential. And so I was happy because, like you said, I really wanted people to have the opportunity to see it in the theater. Not an obligation, obviously. If people want to wait and watch it on their TV, they will have the chance soon. But I felt like it was important to have this movie seen in in the theaters if you wanted to so civil pictures and E1, so they they agreed with me and we waited and i was really happy and then we we were the first ones to open i also wanted not just for the theaters but i wanted people to have space in their minds to talk about something else than the the virus we were all kind of you know watching the news every day and wondering what's going to happen worldwide with this pandemic and it became like a The most important subject matter of the moment and and rightly so but i felt like we made a movie that had a a real social subject matter point of view about how you know our justice system works and the importance of free press and all these kind of serious subject matters and i wanted people have kind of space in their minds to reflect on that and so I, I it was good for us to wait i felt when we released in quebec about five weeks ago after the events in in the u.s you know with the police brutality in, in the u.s kind of already changed the, the topic a little bit and i felt like we could start talking about other things uh, again so it felt uh, like a good a good time to release the movie. We've been lucky. Uh, The film has been, you know, number one in the box office. And people were, you know, it depends where, but uh, mostly some people were ready to go back to the theaters and uh, I felt like it was a good time to release the movie. So I'm happy about, um, you know, the decisions that we made.
0: And for myself, you know, as being probably part of the minority that starts to, you know, look through the listings and sees uh, a brand new Canadian film released immediately when theaters open, It was the first thing that I decided to go and check out because, you know, it's the freshest material that's out there amongst all these other rerun films. And just the fact that, you know, I like to support those films, uh, you know, and knowing your reputation as well, it was a fantastic film uh, and it uh, it was a great experience. Yeah. I, I enjoyed it thoroughly, whether it would have been, you know, people significantly further apart from me or not, uh, it is worthwhile (laughs) seeing on the screen. That's for sure. I can attest to that.
1: Thank you. Thank you. And like you say, sometimes, you know, Canadian movies have a a hard time being seen not not because of the quality of the film. No. Most of the time, it's because of the money spent uh, for marketing. Because we don't have the same marketing and promotion power that the the U.S. studios have. Because you know the the money spent in the U.S. and everywhere in the world kind of leaks to other countries and leaks into Canada. But for a Canadian movie, we just don't have you know the same money to make uh, the film known for everybody to know what it is and that it's it's being released and what what is it and so this time i feel like we uh, we were lucky kind of lucky to a certain extent that the other movies were not going to be released and there was space for us to kind of um, be the first ones and you just told me exactly that that you were like oh what is that that's canadian movies being the first one being released that's exactly we we had that chance maybe it was for us um an opportunity to get the movie seen a little bit more than uh usual times i guess outside of quebec because in quebec it's easier for us to uh, to market it and have people know about it because of the actor because of antoine but for the rest of the country josh hartnett is in it so people might you know take notice but I guess people won't even, you know, realize before they're in the theater that it's actually a a movie that takes place in Canada, and it's about Mm -hmm. a journalist in Toronto (laughs) at the Globe and Mail, and uh, I feel it's a story that Canadians have to see, in my opinion. I'm not saying that to make money. Everybody, you should know. No matter how much people go see it, I'm not making one (laughs) dollar. It doesn't change anything (laughs) for me. (laughs)
0: Well, I'm very sorry to hear that, Uh, but hopefully it will be be parlayed (laughs) into the next fantastic project. That's the hope. Uh, We've been on the phone today with director, screenwriter, Danielle Roby. We've been talking about Target Number 1. It's a fantastic film. Uh, It is Canadian-based. It is based on people from this country. Uh, It is based on things that we wish didn't necessarily happen in this country. Exactly. Uh, And you can check it out at theaters across Canada, specifically at Cineplex Odeon. If you don't have the chance to catch it in a theater, I'm sure at some point it'll be hitting VOD plus other streaming platforms. Uh, Denyev, it has been an incredible conversation. We really appreciate you being generous with your time. And uh, thank you so much for this film. Uh, I can't wait to see the next one.
1: My pleasure. Thank you.